What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Absolute sports betting degeneracy. Welcome to the zoo. With Sex Panther and Chubby Zebra. Generates with Sex Panther here. It's time for another edition of the Zoo with Chubby Zebra. Week one, call it well, yeah, week one, one, zero point five, one point five, whatever, of college football. Chubby Zebra, we, I kind of always take an opportunity to like poke the bear a little bit, but really didn't talk to you much this this week. I don't know if you tripped and fell or got stomped by a linebacker. How was your week? Uh, the week was well. Stayed on my feet last Friday night, which was good. Uh, but I'd like to start out by um, giving, telling Scott Frost and the Nebraska Horn, Corn Huskers they can um, pick a stripe on the zebra's ass and kiss it. <laughs> you know, picking them. I knew I, I. I think if you go back and listen, I actually said I'm falling into this, and I don't know why. Over seven and a half. They, you know, eleven point lead in the third quarter. You finally have a special teams coach for the first time in six years, and you decide to onside kick after you've taken a. Uh, deficit at the halftime, turn it into a, an 11 point lead, and, and you pull a moronic stunt like that. Fire the guy now, go back to not having a special teams coach, and continue to lose by one score like you did all of last year. Nebraska, kiss the zebra's ass. <laughs> you know, it's funny when that game was going on, you know, we're, we're in the book club and we're, we're talking shit. I like Arch is in there, a bunch of the guys are in there, and I, I, I'm they're in the lead, and I'm like, fire Scott Frost now. Just fire him now. Like he, the writing was on the wall after that kick. I, I could not believe it. Uh, any chance he survives the year? You'll have to see what happens. I mean, they are going to be still be a tremendous favorite in seven games, maybe eight. Um, you know, but performances like that will get you, you know, can from a high school team, let alone a major college team. He's in, he's in a world of hurt. Well, we, we've got 10 picks between the two of us actually on a couple games together. I don't know that we're necessarily, we don't talk about what side we're on. We just talk about what the games are. So we're just going to get started right out of the gate. Nothing on Thursday night. It's really kind of hard to talk about games when we do this as late on a Thursday night. So we're not really on any games tonight but it does look like we're on a game friday night uh tcu at colorado you on this zebra i I am on this this is a 10 p.m eastern kick on espn uh tcu two of the biggest issues last year were their passing game and their defense both should be improved this year max Dugan is still listed as the number one quarterback, but Chandler Morris looks to be a much better fit for new head coach Sonny Dykes air raid offense. Um, In fact, this week, I think Panther could quarterback them to a win at Colorado. (laughs) Uh, The Horned Frogs do have personnel uh, to adapt to new offense quickly. They return a top 25 receiving core and a top 25 offensive line. 
the defense took a step back last year, but this year should they return eight starters. I expect the points per game to return to their traditional mid-20s uh, versus last year's mid-30s that they were at. TCU has 18 starters returning, and as stated last week, Colorado was decimated with transfer portal defections. 23 players in total left the program. Last year's buffs were not good, and this year's buffs will be worse. I'm continuing my 2022 of fate, of fate of Colorado. I like the opening line at 10 and a half. It's been bet up to 13 and a half. But as long as that stays under two touchdowns, I'm taking TCU and I'll lay the 13 and a half on the road tomorrow night. Uh, you know, this is one of your totals, kind of like Nebraska was. This is one of your totals. I wasn't on it, but I drank the Kool-Aid. I listened to what you said. I, went, I dug through this game a little bit in based primarily on the conversation we had last week. And my initial reaction was, I'm all over TCU. 13 and a half felt like a gift. TCU lost four road games by an average of 30 points last year. And by all accounts, way better competition than the Colorado Buffaloes. But Colorado had four wins. They went four and eight. All four of those wins last year were at home. And let's not forget, they lost to Texas A&M by three at home. So Colorado's at home here. And TCU's on the road where they didn't fare well. But that, I mean, I'm, listen, I'm trusting the zebra. I didn't go into the personnel. I didn't go into the transfers or what they've done. 13 and a half seems manageable if Colorado is as bad as you say. So I'm jumping on it with you. I've got TCU minus a 13 and a half for one unit. Looking at a total of 58. You got a feel on this 58? No, I, I, if anything, I would probably lean a little bit to the under. I just don't think Colorado's got any sort of offense. TCU's defense is going to be back uh, to what we expect TCU defense to be from the past. I'd lean under, no play. I'm just taking TCU and laying the points. Yeah, no play for me either. Um, looking at last year's, when they lost, they, they struggled to score. 14 against Iowa State, 17 against Oklahoma State, 12 against Kansas State. That's TCU I'm talking about. But when they won, they, they got into the 30s. So I think I'm leaning the under here, but um, no play for me. All right, next game up, I'm going to start in, in a, I guess it's kind of like an in-state war. I didn't I didn't really know this, but North Carolina is traveling to Appalachian State. Now, you don't see this very often where a powerhouse team, a power five team, a powerhouse, uh, travels to you know what is traditionally known as a mid-major. Usually, they scratch a check and have the mid-major come up for a visit but this is going to be a kid brewer stadium app state sold out Thirty thousand packed people for an afternoon game 12 o'clock kickoff uh north carolina they have wide wide receiver josh downs they, they've already played one game and, and listen this early in the season i'm big on uh numbers and having something to go by and north carolina at least have a game to go by. Now, granted, it was against Florida AM. Take that for what it's worth. But wide receiver Josh Downs had nine catches for 78 yards and two touchdowns. Quarterback Drake Meyer uh, went 29 for 37, five touchdowns, no picks for 294 yards. Honest, you know, competition matters. But uh, let's take a look at App State. Quarterback Chase Bryce is in his sixth year. I think this whole, I'm, I'm seeing this quite a Bit with some of these teams the sixth year came into play because they didn't count the COVID year right 2020 just really didn't count for these guys 
Um, now, App State did lose four of their wide receivers to the NFL, all four signed NFL contracts, but they do return running backs Nate Noel and Cameron Peoples. Both of them each had a 1,000-yard seasons in the last two years. One of the things that has me concerned for App State is they've lost seven defensive starters. I think that kind of turnover on the defense is why I'm looking at North Carolina. I, I'd like to believe North Carolina and Mac Brown gets just this much better athletes uh, in, in Chapel Hill than they do for Appalachian State. Minus, I mean, this is going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a good game. And Appalachian State, look, near and dear to my heart, today is the 15-year anniversary <laughs> that they went to the big house and uh, got that field goal block over uh, – that, that team that we don't say their name, but uh, I'm not on them this time. I'm going to take the Tar Heels minus the one for one unit. I, I hear what you're saying on that. Um, North Carolina did roll Florida A&M. It took them a while to get going last week. Florida A&M was without 20 plus players due for different reasons. Uh, this one is scary. I looked at it. I want to take Appalachian state. I want to take Appalachian state on the money line. I just couldn't pull the trigger. All signs point to North Carolina. I, I think that, you know, the, the public's going to be on North Carolina, which tells me Appalachian State's probably the play. No play for me, but I am leaning Appalachian State. Uh, I'm looking at a total of 56 here. Uh, I expect this to be a, kind of an offensive struggle and, and maybe a – a defensive game for these two teams. I may be leaning the under, but not really having a play. You got a feel for the total here. I, I would lean the same way. I think Appalachian State's going to want to control the ball with their running game. North Carolina State or North Carolina is explosive with the passing game, but that's what Appalachian State's going to have to shut down. So you think they're going to be prepared for it? I would lean under, but uh, this is just kind of a game that I'm going to kind of have on in the corner of my, you know, the corner TV and and see what's going on and, and check out if it be, does become as close as I think it's going to be. All right, uh, next game up for you. What do you got? I'm going up to the Carrier Dome. This is a game that kind of sparked my interest at the last minute. Uh, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, ACC Network. Louisville travels to Syracuse. Louisville's won seven of the last eight against the Cuse, with all seven of those victories by, be, being by at least 22 points. Last year in Louisville, it was a 38-point drubbing in which quarterback Malik Cunningham accounted for five touchdowns. Cunningham's going to have another huge game this week versus a Syracuse defense that will allowed 37.7 points per game in their final three last season. The Qs won't have an answer for Cunningham on D, nor are they going to be able to produce much offensively. They were bottom 10 in the FBS in passing yards in 2021, and they're not built to come from behind. Louisville's going to get out to an early lead. Cunningham's going to look like a Heisman candidate in week one. Not that he's going to win it, but He's going to look like a candidate in week one. And Louisville's going to cruise to an easy double-digit victory. I don't, you know, the number's not the most ideal number to play at four and a half. Uh, but I don't think there's going to be a problem. Like I say, Louisville, I got Louisville by double digits. I think it's an easy cover for Louisville. Yeah, I think the thing for me looking at this game was the the line just seems suspiciously low. And you look at Syracuse and how they finished off the season. One, they got pasted by the Cardinal last year, late in the season, 
41 to three uh, in Louisville, Papa John stadium. Then they got whacked by North Carolina state whacked again by Pittsburgh. Like this is a team that looks on paper, like they're offensively challenged. It seemed too easy to me. Like it seemed too obvious. I'm in complete agreement, but that line just seems suspiciously low. Uh, so I'm only leaning the Cardinal here. Uh, total of 57 and a half. Are you on that? If anything, I would I would lean the over. I'm not playing it. It's a little too early in the season for me to actually be playing totals. Uh, I've I've messed around with that in the past, and you know I run it about 25% it feels, and obviously that's not a way to to keep your keep your bankroll intact into October and November. It looks like a high scoring affair, especially with what Syracuse gave up last year at the end of the season. I'm staying off of it, but uh, I would lean to the over. Yeah, I think I'm probably leaning the under. I think Syracuse is kind of offensively challenged, like I mentioned. And if they can just keep Louisville, you know, from getting into the 40s, um, I think this could be a lower scoring game. But not on this game in, in general or in principle. Next game up, kind of a, a big-time game, at least for one team. We're going to take a look at Utah going down to the Swamp, take on the Florida Gators. The Florida Gators have won 32 straight home opener games. It's an NCAA record, 32 home openers in a row. However, conveniently, it's kind of like an SEC thing, I think. They've never played a ranked team. So that 32-game winning streak has been against a bunch of patsies. Now they get the seventh-ranked Utes from Utah coming into town. Uh, new head coach in Florida, head coach Billy Napier, come over from Louisiana Lafayette, had a, a had that thing going. Uh, they went to uh, the conference title game four years in a row. I like Napier. Um, he's got to you know, start getting his recruits and things in there. He's going to uh, take with uh, with him. Anthony Richardson is going to be the starting quarterback. He started one game last year. It was against Georgia. He was completely overmatched. He, he missed five games due to various injuries, um, but it's, it's his job this year. And uh, as long as he stays healthy, he's, he's a dual threat quarterback. He can do a lot of damage with his legs, with his arm. Um, but Florida is in, in the middle of a rebuild. Utah, I mean, I remember – that's not even that long ago where like urban Meyer was the head coach of Utah. I remember when Utah was, you know, in, in what the mountain West. Um, and now here they are not only in the pac 12, but the favorite to win the conference. This is a team that Kyle Whittingham has just clicking on all cylinders. Uh, they've 10 and one last year when they outran their opponents, outrushed their opponents. Um, they, they rely heavily on that running game. They've got a pretty solid defense. When you look at what they did last year, they held Oregon to 10. They held Oregon to seven, beat them twice, like in convincing fashion. Uh, they've got it on both sides. They're not rebuilding, kind of almost that reloading aspect. I think Utah can go into the swamp. We know it's a hostile environment, but three points I think they can handle. So uh, I'm on the Utes here for one unit. Uh, this is one of the top non-conference matchups in college football all season, and it's coming at us right out of the gate. Uh, you're right. I, Billy Napier, great run. I think he was like 33-5 and five at Louisiana. And, you know, Florida grabbed one of the top small college coaches to take over the helm. What's he got there? What's he got to work with? I'm not sure. Uh, Utah started last season one and two, and then they rattled off nine straight victories. 
they are one of the top contenders in the Pac-12 this year, if not the top contender to make the playoffs. Pac-12 hasn't had a playoff team since 2016. And if they were to lose this game, the Pac-12 could be already eliminated from playoff contention after the first week of the season, which is basically unthinkable for a Power 5 conference. If Utah does win this game, their schedule sets up very nicely for a potential 12-0 run into a Pac-12 title game, which could put the Pac-12 in the playoffs for the first time in six years. The one thing that concerns me down there, I had some buddies that vacationed recently down in Florida, and they came back and talked about the heat and humidity. Uh, The Florida Gators are obviously used to this. Utah, not so much. So my question is, is Utah going to get there, and are they going to thrive in the heat and humidity like my buddy Dog, or are they going to wilt in that heat and humidity like my buddy Frank? Because that's what happened to them on their vacations. I have no answer. I have no idea what's going to happen here. This is a game that I'm definitely going to want to watch Saturday. If I had to lean, I would lean the fa- the ranked team, given the points, but that traveling across the country and the heat and humidity when you can only bring 66 guys, is that going to wear down Utah? I guess we're going to find out. Game time weather, 81 degrees, and looks like maybe a chance of rain. Be interesting if they have to, the swamp turns into a swamp. Looking at a total of 51 and a half, you know, Florida's kind of trying to find their identity with a new head coach, new offense, new quarterback. Utah has shown glimpses of a stellar defense. I think this is a, a, a war in the trenches. I kind of maybe like the under here, not, not betting it too early in the season, like you said, but 51 and a half. I think I'm leaning the under here. What do you think? Utah's coming to play. They, they know this is the game that that's going to could potentially make or break their season. They've got a solid defense. I don't know what Florida's going to bring offensively. If I had to lean one way or the other, I, I'd say under is probably a play, but I don't even I don't even think want to call that a lean right now. But I would agree with you. If I had was forced to do it, I'd, I'd go under as well. All right. Uh, next game up. This is yours. Yeah, um, I'm looking at Boise State traveling to Oregon State Saturday, late 10:30 Eastern on ESPN. Uh, ex- you know, excluding the COVID-shortened season of 2020, Boise's seven wins last year were their fewest win total since 1998. <laughs> that's, the, I mean, that's two decades. They return a ton of production, including quarterback Hank Bachmeyer and running back George Halani. Bachmeyer put up solid numbers in his first year as starting quarterback with over 3,000 passing yards and a 20 to 8 TD to interception ratio. He does lose his top receiver, so maybe a little more emphasis on the run early in the season with Halani, who averaged 4.8 yards a carry last year. Boise has 86 starts returning on their offensive line, including two All-Mountain West performers. Taking a look at Oregon State, they were a disaster on defense last year, allowing opponents 5.8 yards per play. So you take into consideration incomplete passes and things like that. They they gave up 5.8 yards per play, which tells me they're susceptible to the big play. Although they returned nine starters, the defense does lose their leader in Avery Roberts. Oregon State's offense last year, it was pretty good, led by led by a running attack. 
Well, they lose B.J. Baylor, who had over 1,300 yards, as well as all Pac-12 center Nathan Eldridge and their right guard. All this being said, coupled with Boise's returning returning their entire defensive line and three of their four top linebackers, plus the entire secondary, Oregon State is going to be hard-pressed to move the ball. They're 0-4 in openers under coach Jonathan Smith. I think the wrong team's favored here, and I think Boise's going to win the game outright. Not saying take them on the money line. I'd consider it, but for sure I'm taking Boise plus the three. Yeah, something doesn't add up here. I'm looking at last year, the recency, last five games. You know, Oregon State, it was really a struggle for them all season long. You know, they lost to Utah State in in their uh, lower-tier bowl game. Um, Losing to Oregon, Civil War, whatever, whatever, we'll dismiss that. They beat Arizona State, who's not very good. They beat Stanford, who's not very good. They lost to Colorado, who's not very good. Um, just a team that really I, I didn't think they had. I'm surprised they even got to a bowl game. But anymore, they let anybody in. Boise got correct. And not only did they get correct, they got correct on the defensive side of the ball, giving up 19, 14, 13, and zero, although the zero is against New Mexico. Um, and even 27 against San Diego State. I, I'm with you. I don't understand this line. A lot of times Vegas knows things that we don't, but it, it's trickled down a little bit. Now I'm seeing it um, Oregon State minus two and a half. So maybe some of the money and or public agrees with you. I, I agree with you. I didn't bet it. I won't jinx you. Um, but, yeah, this game stinks. Uh, I'll lean the Boise State Broncos. Looking at a total of 56 and a half, I know you don't, we're not really betting any of these totals. I think there is one game I might actually bet the total, but this one I'm not on. Are you, you you've got an inkling for this total here? 56 and a half? No, no, no feel whatsoever on this. If I had, again, if I was going to do anything, I'm probably leaning under just for the simple fact that Boise returns as many starters on defense as they do. And Oregon State is going to have a tough tough time moving the ball with the loss of you know two of their best linemen as well as their, their running back from last year all right all right uh this is the time where we're going to take a break and you listen to the main show every day uh sometimes arch has to tell you guys we got to find out if uh what 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 the commercials like you if you if you're in an area where people like to post a commercial so if there's going to be one this is where it's going to be so just give us a couple seconds here we're going to take a pause and we're back next game up we're looking at western kentucky at hawaii you know all the talk of everything last week i think one of the talks was nebraska and scott frost and i think a close second had to be that complete ass whooping that Hawaii took from a not juggernaut uh, Vanderbilt Commodores. Uh, Hawaii typically, at, even at home, is a tough out. And last week, they got absolutely humiliated. Um, now, the West, Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, they come to town. I mean, this is a high-powered offense. Um, going against a team that gave up 600 yards last week to Vanderbilt. There's really no reason at all to not think Western Kentucky can't duplicate that success. Western Kentucky last year threw for 6,000 yards and 63 touchdowns. 
passing. That's just their passing. Throwing another 1,400 yards and 13 touchdowns on the ground. This team can absolutely score. I'm just looking at the recency here. Three of their last five games, they were over 50 points. They could easily get over 50 again here. I'm all over Western Kentucky. 16 points is not even close to enough. Uh, I will put one unit on the Hilltoppers. After what we saw last week, I, I can't argue why you're doing that. Western Kentucky's offense is bound to regress this season. I mean, they had had record-setting performances last year from Bailey Zappi. Uh, they did get a quarterback, you know, another a transfer in this year that, that's going to be able to sling it around the yard. Their philosophy is going to be the same. They Both teams played last week. Western Kentucky did have a close one with an FCS school, beating Austin P 38-27 by pulling away in the fourth quarter. But like you mentioned, Hawaii's in bad shape. There was, there was darn near a mutiny last year. <laughs> Massive player defection. Coach resigning instead of being fired. Uh, you know, God bless Timmy Chang for taking over his alma mater, but he's in for a long season. I think he can get it done in the long run, at least make Hawaii what we know Hawaii to be, a you know, a bowl contending team that shocks people on the island and comes to the mainland and looks like a high school team. But they're strictly a high school team even on the island this year. I can't argue with your Western Kentucky pick. I would fade Hawaii until they show they've got any sense of a pulse. Uh, total 67 and a half. Look, that's a, that's a high number. That's a big number, especially going against a Hawaii team that that doesn't score. They put up 10 against Vanderbilt. That still hits 73. It's just asking Western Kentucky to, to really do all the work. I don't think I would be looking at the over. I guess if I was going to get on that, I'd look at the under. What, what do you think? Somebody liked it because that thing moved six points, I believe, after it came out. Uh, so the people that the people that bet this stuff early and often pounded the over to move it from an open of opener of sixty one to sixty seven within the first twenty four to forty eight hours of that line being posted. Hmm, interesting, interesting. Um, all right, next game up. This belongs to you. I'm going to to Southern Cal, and then in, in the Lincoln Riley era begins with Rice visiting the the Trojans Saturday, six o'clock Eastern, Pac twelve Network. Um, you know, I'm glad I got every one of these networks now. I've I, I don't have enough TVs in my house to set up in the living room to to for tomorrow for Saturday, but we're going to be flipping around left and right on the ones that I do have. So USC, they've returned to the the, we'll, we'll say the glitz to the program with hiring of Lincoln Riley and the transfers of Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison and Travis Dye. But going from a four and eight team to one of college football's premier programs, it's not happening overnight. There's big concerns on the defensive side of the ball by returning only four starters. And in the front seven is extremely thin only one starter returning on the line and one linebacker. They lost all their top tacklers. Lincoln Riley brought Alex Grinch with him from Oklahoma, and they're going to be switching from a from a 4-3 into a 3-4 into Grinch's system. So there's some, some learning curves to, to happen there. Rice, they actually bring back a lot of production with running back Ari Brassard, who averaged almost five yards a carry last year, and their top wide receiver, Cedric Patterson, who had six TDs. Uh, Luke McCaffrey, Christian's brother, will be switching from quarterback to wide receiver this year to add a little bit of depth to the position. 
Rice returns their entire secondary, which they're going to need to try to contend with Williams and Addison. That duo is going to be spectacular as the season goes on, but they've got a little bit of learning, uh, you know, a learning curve to do here. I know in the past, uh, one of one of my favorite quotes that came from one of my buddies was, you know, everyone cooks rice. And over the years, we've had a lot of winners saying that, you know, taking that philosophy with everyone cooks rice. But I don't think the cooking this time is going to be overdone. Uh, rice is going to get cooked, but they're not going to get cooked by 34 and a half points. I'm actually on the Owls plus 34 and a half in this game. Yeah, that's a lot of points, especially when you're looking at a, a complete rebuild in Los Angeles. I'm looking at Rice's schedule, and that's that's the thing that stuck out to me. We did this show together with Arch last year, and, and you used the everybody cooks rice, I mean, to the tune of they were Hawaii slash Colorado bad. And I'm looking here, uh, look, they took on Houston and lost 44 to 7. They took on Texas, who wasn't very good. They lost 58 to nothing. They took on University of Texas, San Antonio, the Roadrunners, one of our favorite teams, and lost 45 to nothing. After that, their last what, six games, they either won or kept it close. Two of them in overtime. Western Kentucky beat them by 21, but that's still not five touchdowns. I, I can't help but to agree with you here. I I'm not on it, but five touchdowns, that just seems like a lot. So I'm going to lean Rice here. Uh, total. We're looking at 61 and a half. I, I, Rice is going to score a couple. And if they're going to be able to keep it within that, that means USC is going to have to keep it, you know, below in the forties. So I don't see Rice lighting it up. And if I like Rice plus the points, that tells, that tells you, that I don't think USC is going to necessarily light it up either. I would lean towards the under in this game, but, but no play. And no play, obviously, for me either. I'm, I'm, I mean, look, if you can get 40 to 21, you're still under that. I don't know if Rice will get 21. USC's defense isn't great, so maybe. But, um, yeah, a, a no play for me as well. All right, next game up. We're actually going to move over to Sunday night football. Florida State taking on LSU. It's technically a home game for LSU, but they're going to play this in Nolens in the Superdome. We're going to play this in the Superdome where LSU has a 14 and 5 record uh and they're 10 and 2 during regular regular season games in the Superdome. Florida State beat Duquesne's last week 47 to 7, but again, Duquesne's whatever. I think the big look here for is the first game with Brian Kelly taking over the helm for LSU. The cupboard was not bare but he has some work to do to bring in his recruits. In the meantime, he went out and got a quarterback. He got the transfer from Arizona State, Jaden Daniels. Now, Brian Kelly has not officially named his starting quarterback, but I would be stunned if it's not Jaden Daniels. This guy's actually a gunslinger. He can put the ball in the air, and he's pretty, pretty accurate. Now, although I don't expect much out of LSU this year, I think I took the under last week uh, on our total play. I do believe they are still better than FSU and Mike Norvell, who's in his fourth year. He's kind of uh, maybe not as hot of a seat as Scott Frost, but I think they've got to do some work here for him to hold on to his job as well. I think LSU in the Dome can take care of business. I like the Tigers minus the three points for one unit. 
not even a game that I necessarily looked at, but because you were, I did take a peek. I was shocked to find out that Florida State has started the season 1-0 and for the first time since 2016. Uh, I mean, I, I know they played like, some some quality opponents to start the season, but I'm shocked at a program that, you know, I grew up with dominate, you know, a dominating program is, hasn't won their opener in six years till this year. We can't read anything off the game with Duke, Duquesne. Uh, they didn't cover. They, they, it wasn't pretty. I don't know what to make of LSU. I don't know who's going to play. I don't know what Brian Kelly's scheme is. It is the third straight year that Norvell and, and Kelly have faced off last year. Obviously, under completely different circumstances, it was a shootout with a 41-38 Notre Dame win over Florida State. I don't know what to expect in this game. I don't know what to expect from Brian Kelly and LSU. Not a game I'm going to touch. Probably won't touch LSU for a while until I see what they're made of. Uh, But I wish you luck. All right. Uh, Let's see what we're looking at here. 51 and a half is the total. I I mean, that's a low number for college football, but – I think there's just way too many questions, particularly with, with LSU. Um, I mean, they, they've got a score, right? I 51 and a half is, is so we need 26 points each somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, I, I mean, probably leaning the over, but I'm clearly not going to bet this. You got a take on the, on the total. No idea. This, this thing could be 71. It could be 41. I, I don't know what LSU is bringing to the table. I, I wouldn't even touch this with your bankroll. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, all right. Next game up. Last game up for you. Yeah, I'm going to take a look um, at, at, another, at a ranked matchup with number 23 Cincinnati traveling to number 19 Arkansas. Saturday, midday, ESPN. The post-Desmond Ritter era begins for the Bearcats. They've had some serious personnel losses quarterback, running back, top wide receiver, top two defensive linemen, two All-Americans from their secondary. But Luke Fickle has been recruiting, and he's been recruiting well at Cincinnati. They do bring back their entire offensive line with a combined 100-plus starts, and they were 15th in rushing success rate in the country last year. I think new running back Ryan Montgomery – He's going to be the guy that gets the majority of the carries, at least from what I've read. He was very good last year in limited playing time and averaged 6.8 yards per carry, which included 4.1 yards after contact. So the guy's a big physical running back. Arkansas, they're bringing back only four starters defensively. They lost two guys that had 100-plus tackles from their linebacking core. They only returned one defensive lineman. Their front seven's going to be relatively new to face an offensive line that's very experienced and a banging running back. Offensively, they are they going to be able to attack Cincinnati's weakness, which is their secondary this year. Arkansas lost four of their five top pass catchers. Is KJ Jefferson going to have the same kind of success that he had last year with a whole big new bunch of, of, of receivers? His strength is throwing off the RPO. And I'd say he's average at best at throwing the ball downfield. So a bunch of new receivers. Cincinnati's got a defensive line, you know, returning a lot of guys from the defensive line. 
I think it's going to be tough for him. Arkansas ran the ball 63% of the time last year, and that's probably going to increase at least at the early season while they're trying to find the identity at wide receiver. It's going to be a problem going up against Cincinnati's front seven. Last year, the Bearcats finished in the top 20 in both defensive success rate and explosiveness allowed, only allowing 3.7 yards per attempt. That was the 16th best defense in the country. I know they lost a lot up front, but they do have replacements, including Noah Potter from OSU. Deshaun Pace was a freshman last year, started only four games, and he was fourth on the team in tackles. His brother Ivan, who was the MAC Defensive Player of the Year at Miami of Ohio, joins them this year. This game opened at seven. It's down to six, six and a half. I'm not afraid of that. I'm still going to take Cincinnati plus six and a half. If you can buy it up to seven for a cheap price, obviously it's a smart move. But I'm buying a little bit of what Cincinnati's got here. I'm going to take Cincinnati, and we'll say plus six and a half. This is a game that I'm on as well. Um, you know, one thing that I'm looking at with Cincinnati, we make a big deal about Desmond Ritter, the offense. They can score. They're explosive. But actually, when you look at Cincinnati's success over the years, their calling card's been its defense. In 14 games last year they played, the most points they gave up in any game was 28, and that wasn't even Alabama. Alabama scored 27 on them. So that this defense has been elite. Uh, this is no one-year mirage. Since 2018, Luke Fickle is 44-7 and with these Bearcats. They've arrived. There's a reason he stayed in Cincinnati. He didn't flirt with the Notre Dame job. Um, I, I love Luke Fickle. I really I, was, That was my pick to come to Notre Dame, um, but I'm happy with Marcus Freeman as well. But listen, Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman's got something going on down there too. Right. You watch him on the sideline. You watch these players. I mean, they play for him. They play hard. And I, I like what Pittman's got going on. He's rejuvenated what has been a, a dormant Razorback team. They were kind of like a, a bye week in the SEC for a while. Not anymore. I think maybe Arkansas does win this game. I just don't see him winning by a touchdown. I'm with you. I'm on our uh, Cincinnati here. Plus those points for one unit. Looking at a total of, listen, just since we've been talking, just in the 30 minutes or so we've been talking, I watched this thing jump from 52 to 53 and a half. Uh, somebody thinks it's going over. You, you got a feeling on this game? That's a big move. And obviously, if you like the under, uh, wait around it's, if it continues to go up and get your best number. If you're an over player on it, you better get it now before it goes up anymore. I, I would probably lean towards the under just because, like you said, Cincinnati's defense has been nasty. It's going to continue to be nasty. And Arkansas is not going to have success running the ball against this. And and, and their quarterback, Jefferson, is not your prototypical drop back, pick you apart guy. Now, if he can get to the outside and he can turn RPOs into, you know, 8, 10, 12-yard gains, it's going to be a long day for Cincinnati. But nobody's been able to do that against this defense. I, I, I would lean the under. Yeah, I, I think I like the under two almost enough to even to bet it. Um, you know, I'm look. I was even at 52. I was looking at the score. Um, you had to get well, now at 53 and a half, like 30 to 24 is what you'd need to cover the six and six and a half to get you to the 54. And like I said, Cincinnati didn't give up that many points all season last year. I don't know that Arkansas gets to 30. Uh, so I, yeah, I like the under here almost enough to bet it, but not quite. Well, that takes care of your slate of games. There's just one left. I don't know if you heard about it or not, but 
It's kind of a big game going on in Columbus, Ohio, Saturday night, prime time. I, look, as a fan, I love these games. This early in the season, I love these kind of games. Notre Dame at Ohio State. But as a fan of the team that's playing, I hate that they didn't get a warm-up game. Where's where's the Austin Pay? Where's the Norfolk State? Where's the Our Lady of Our Lord? Somebody to tune up. There's just so many questions, particularly on the Notre Dame side of things. So let's take a look here. I, you know, I think this is the game of the weekend. I don't think no doubt. Marcus Freeman, former OSU linebacker, he returns to his home where he played as the 30th. I didn't even know Notre Dame had 30 head coaches. The only ones we ever talked about are the the national championship winners and Brian Kelly, who's stuck around way too long. Uh, expectations are huge for Ohio state. I mean, the experts basically have already dubbed Alabama and Ohio state almost basically have the check Mark to the playoffs already. Um, so their, their expectations are high. They've got, you know, all these weapons, CJ Stroud, Heisman contender, Jackson Smith, Ninjigba wide receiver, Travion Henderson, the running back, all three of them were AP preseason All-Americans. You go to the Notre Dame side, a lot of questions, a lot of replacements. Jack Cohen's gone. Tyler Buckner steps in now as the quarterback. He did have some playing time, but this is actually his first actual career start uh, against Ohio State. Kyron Williams, also gone to the NFL. He'll be replaced by Chris Tyree. Uh, Austin, the wide receivers out for the season. He got injured in, in, um, camp training, whatever have you. Um, but Michael Meyer, the, uh, t- the much heralded tight end, he returns. He will most likely lead the Irish, even though he's not a wide receiver, he will probably lead the Irish, um, in catches and yards and probably even touchdowns. Uh, that's about the only big cover. I think Ohio state has to do is answer for the tight end position. Ohio state really has the advantage all the offense defense the skill positions and they addressed the defensive problem they had last year right they brought in jim knowles uh, he's the new defensive coordinator brought him in from oklahoma state uh that they expect i don't know how they expect big things but they expect better things from that defense that was the weak spot from the buckeyes last year and it's kind of what kept them out of the playoffs when they lost to that team up north the name that we don't that we uh don't say around here but uh, that game kept them out of the playoffs. Notre Dame, same thing. New defensive coordinator. He steps into Marcus Freeman's shoes. Al Golden coming over. He spent the last two years with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I just don't know that defenses are really going to matter that much for this game. I think Ohio State's going to score, and if Notre Dame's going to keep up, they're going to have to score. No doubt in my mind, Ohio State wins this game. I'm, I'm not one of those Homer Notre Dame fans that think Notre Dame's gonna, you know, go out and beat the shit out of the Buckeyes. I don't think that, but I do think they've got a puncher's chance. I think 17. It was 17 and a half. It's down to 17, but uh, I, I think this is a disrespectful number for a, a team that is being viewed as the fifth best team in the country. I don't think that's an unfair ranking for a team that's been highly competitive for the last five years. Um, so I'm going to take my mighty Irish plus those 17 points for one unit. Well, this one, this one opened up at 13 and, you know, the in- injury news from Notre Dame got out and got bet up to a, to a, to a nice key number of 17 for people that back the Irish. This is a game as a fan, obviously that I'm going to watch. Um, I'm not going to play. 
I do have a question for you, though. Do you think Ohio State is going to finish in the top 10 when the season is done? Yes. Okay, well, that does not bode well for your play then. Since 1994, Notre Dame versus teams that finished the season in the top 10 are 5-44 and 44 against the spread. And I know 1994 is a big sample size, but that, that just status baffling to me that they they're, they're five and 44 against the spread versus teams during the course of the season that eventually finish in the top 10. I don't need them to win. Hopefully for you, <laughs> hopefully for you, they get it to a 12% winning percentage by getting to six and 44 on Saturday. Uh, you got to lean on this game. I, if I was going to do anything, I'd take the points. I, I think that, you know, a game of this magnitude, yes, Ohio State obviously looks like the dominating team. Everybody's in love with them. Notre Dame's, you know, is does have the injuries, but there is a lot of excitement with the program. I, there's no way I could lay that kind of points in a game like this, so I would have to take them. So I'd be on your side if I was playing it. Total's 59. When you calculate the 17 points, that gets us around a 38 to 21 score. Um, I think it goes over that. I actually think it goes over that. Uh, Notre Dame's got to score more than 21 points if they even think they're going to sniff a chance at, at this being close in the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm looking at the over. Yeah, if you're taking the points, I'd take the. I, I would take the over because it means Notre Dame's going to have to score. If you think Ohio State can cover it, I'd probably lay off the total because, you know, if you think Ohio State's going to cover the 17. You know, then you might be looking at a thirty-point win. So Notre Dame's going to score a few. If you like Notre Dame, I'd I'd fly over the total. If you like Ohio State, I'd stay away from the total. All right, that is going to do it for Week One. Zebra, any final thoughts? Again, uh, like I said at the start, at the beginning, uh, Scott Frost in Nebraska can kiss the zebra stripes. Uh, <laughs> I'm not real happy with that performance, but sitting here watching the backyard brawl with West Virginia and Pitt. Uh, this is a game Pitt was favored by a touchdown. This is a game that if Pitt were to happen to lose would do great things for my Pitt season total of under. So the horrific beat that I took last week with a double-digit favorite that I was over on the season totals and they lost could redeem itself with a touchdown favorite that I went under on potentially losing. So I'll leave you with a go Nears. Yeah, I was I was leaning the Mountaineers myself. Uh, didn't have a play in, in that particular game. So close, so close. Uh, all right, before we get out of here, one of the things I do on the big show and one of the things we're going to do this season, we're going to put together a – it's really going to be a, a Panther-Zebra parlay, a zoo parlay, if you will. We agreed on TCU and Cincinnati. I'll let you pick. One of those games uh, needs to be in our three-team parlay here. Which one you like, TCU or Cincinnati? If I'm going to, if I'm going to put the one in a parlay, I am anti-Buffalo until they prove me they can do anything right this season. Give me TCU minus the 13 and a half. Put it on a parlay. All right, we'll put that. And then that that's the mutual one we did together. One by yourself of the other four games you did, or three games, I guess I should say. I suppose you could take Cincinnati if you wanted. I'm not going to take them. Another, another game you like. Love. You're making me take one of the other ones. I mean, I'm already playing them. I, I'm going with Louisville. I think that's going to be a blowout. I, I know a lot of people don't like road favorites. I, I just think Louisville is way more talented than Syracuse. 
put Louisville minus the four and a half on it. All right, Louisville minus the four and a half. You know, it'd be easy for me just to say I'm going to take my Irish, I'm a homer, take Notre Dame, but um, there is a chance they get their ass handed to them. So I'll play a little bit safer, and I'm going to take Western Kentucky and give up those 16 points at Hawaii. Uh, we got TCU, Louisville, Western Kentucky. That is your D-Gen Zoo parlay, if you will. Um, you guys know the deal. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're all over the place. But most of all, uh, we're on the book club. Uh, Got to join the Discord. Join the book club. And you guys can get in there and shoot the shit with us. Call us out by name. We will holler right back. But most importantly, let us know if you did anything with those totals last week. Do anything tonight. What you're going to do this weekend. And when it's all said and done, kids, it's all make some money, fools. Information on this podcast may not be construed to offer any kind of investment advice or recommendations. Under no circumstances will the owners, operators or guests of this podcast be held responsible for damages related to its contents. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.